Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Billy Madison had his nudie magazine day. Well, for us, it's Pick 6 Preview Day. <laughs> That's right. Friend of the Redcast, Brett Ciancia, just posted his 2020 issue. So we're looking forward to reading that. And I know Mac and I are planning to do an interview with him later this summer. I'm a static honk. I've been looking for some good college football reading, and that will start tomorrow for me. All right. I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Yeah, it is good to see some normalcy coming back to college football with preseason football magazines. Uh, really looking forward to trying to get this show done tonight, fellas. Take two. A rare Friday night recording. That is true, Mac. We did have some technical difficulties last night that uh, kept us from completing the show. Uh, it was just some bad uh, juju, as I believe Honky said. Boomer. Well, I'd just like to remind the Redcasters in this tough, these uncertain times of no sports, Major League Baseball just crapping all over themselves, looking like they're not going to be able to play. We still have some sports content. We have Redcast Rob on with us tonight, and he'll be able to break down the North Melbourne Roos versus Sydney Swans, possibly even live, as they'll be kicking off here shortly in Australian rules football. Look forward to that, Redcasters. That's right, Boomer. Uh, we are expanding the Redcast Network and now including Aussie rules football. And uh... Hey, we're huge in Fremantle, Dave. Yeah, and Redcast Rob's on top of everything, really, right, Rob? Yeah, that's right. And uh, I just want to let everybody know that just like a lot of the states around here, you know, I am now in phase three of reopening um, to the public, although I am still social distancing and um, I am only allowing my brain to work at 50% capacity. <laughs> and, and that's saying a lot, Rob. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Now I'm only just a little smarter than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. Well, we uh, we've got a big show tonight here. We uh, it is a Friday night show, as Mac alluded to. A little unusual for us, but uh, it's going smooth for now, at least. Uh, you know, Honky, uh, we've got some stuff happening there in Lincoln, right? We have the players back. Scott Frost had a Zoom call a couple days ago. Had good thirty minutes with all the local reporters. Um, anything in particular that you took from that? Well, you know, from our perspective, I just look at it as it seems like. This is almost business as usual, or at least everything's on pace here in Nebraska, that things are going well. You know, we're going through all the protocols. Everything seems to be on pace for us to get started on time. And, you know, even to the extent that uh, there's talk, and I know it's very early, but there's talk that we could even potentially have a full stadium. And what's so crazy is all that discussion that's going on, you know, on that side of things, on the other side of it. Today, they're announcing in Clemson, 23 guys coming down with COVID. You know, you're hearing all those doomsday stories on the other side. So, you know, I, usually the truth is somewhere in between. I think that, you know, we're going to have a season. I think we're going to have a fairly normal schedule, but it looks so bright and everything on the Nebraska side. And you see other places, UCLA, they're, you know, they're petitioning against their coach, you know, for things. So, I mean, right. it's, it's kind of crazy right. how different it is from one school to the next. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, Boomer, you've always preached moderation in everything you do, and I'm sure that uh, uh, preaching moderation and um, filling our, our stadium might be another uh, good piece of advice. Uh, what do you think about a full Memorial Stadium come September? 
that's still so many months down the road. I mean, good grief. It's hard to even say, you know, a month or two ago, we were even talking, is there a possibility that no sports are going to happen at all for a year? And now, you know, a month or so later, we're already talking, maybe we can have a full stadium again. You know, so much can change between now and September. You know, you do have to have plans in place for any of it. If we can have fans in the stands and it can be done safely and people are fairly comfortable doing so, you know, if it requires masks, so be it. I know that seems to upset a certain number of people out there, but to also echo kind of what Honky said, I do like to see, you know, how Nebraska's taken this. I think it speaks well to our culture and what the, the coaching staff has done with the players. We don't seem to have that revolt like UCLA is having. Whatever, you know, protocols we're doing hopefully are working so far. You know, we haven't had any big eruptions, so let's, let's hope we can keep that going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Mac, as our closest thing to a medical expert on the Redcast, I mean, you have to be somewhat impressed that uh, Nebraska has been able to return to um, a somewhat normal situation over the summer here with players reporting back and very few cases where we're seeing Clemson with 23, Texas with 13. Some big numbers from other programs, huh? Yeah, it's it's impressive so far. I mean, fingers crossed, right? I mean, hopefully the the protocols they have in place are what is uh, keeping that kind of outbreak happening from the team. Now, that being said, a big outbreak of it isn't as concerning as the optics of it, right? I mean, I think we can all agree at that. Like, you start putting huge numbers up, that's more problematic from how it looks than actually the kids being in danger. But so if we can keep our numbers down, keep those numbers reasonable, it'll show a couple things. One, that we're doing things right. And um, two, that our coaches and our staff are ready to go on this. And I would just say from the the press or from the media side of this, I hope equal amount of press gets put towards those 23 guys when they are healed up two and a half weeks from now. Because I know that's the part that – it's all the talk about, oh, my gosh, these are the numbers right now, but what happens when these guys are healthy in a couple of weeks, which more likely than not is going to happen with this age group demographic of kids? Sure. What happens when they find out deep squats is what cures coronavirus, okay? <laughs> what, what happens when it turns out that steak is probably the antidote? You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like let's let's train these elite athletes like elite athletes again and see if if that doesn't do them um, some good. I bet it does. You know, Boomer mentioned it, you know, talking about the 90,000 fans, and he goes, you know, are we going to find people that are comfortable? I guarantee you there are 90,000 people that will be comfortable to go into Memorial Stadium. Whether they are buying tickets or whether they're the people that have tickets in hand, that's another case. But, I mean, there will be – there's 90,000 Husker fans out there that would be willing to sit in that stadium. Again, whether that's the safe thing to do or not, I'm not the doctor to to be able to say that. But I just I, I like the trajectory of what Nebraska is doing right now. But it's just this we're not alone in this. This is a much bigger issue than just Nebraska. And so it's I just thought it was so interesting how things were really positive on our end. But you see some of these other schools in these other states, and it seems like they're in a whole different world right now. Yeah, and that can switch relatively quickly, right? I mean, you look at states like Arizona which for a long time had very low case rates, and now now they're blowing up, right? And so, uh, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how that, that plays out. I would say an advantage here for Nebraska and any other program that's not having a high case rate is that uh, you're not quarantining those, those players for two-plus weeks, right? And so um, where Clemson's going to have to have those 23 players um, out of the loop for a while— that's not the case at Nebraska or other programs that have um, been able to bring their kids back safely and without um, a lot of cases. So, Although I suppose, you know, 
It does run the risk of, I, I've heard some people online talk about this, is this some sort of weird freakish advantage for schools like Clemson and things like that where their players are you know, testing positive now and aren't going to get it in the season? Like what happens in... Well, the antibody hasn't been proven either though, Boomer. So. Yeah, I agree with that. But like what happens if you know suddenly the outbreak happens in Nebraska in September and we have you know 28 yep. players test positive in the first week or so and they all have to sit and... Yeah. I don't know. That, that's just part of the whole chaos and confusion of this whole thing. It's really hard to predict. And again, I'm glad we don't have to make the decisions about, about any of this and can just kind of sit in the sidelines and observe. And now, scoring explosion, the offensive breakdown. Well, uh, guys, I think that's probably enough COVID talk, right? I think let's talk some football, and we're going to be diving into the scoring explosion here. Uh, but beforehand, let's uh, set the stage with a little roster management. Always good to catch up on the latest, on the comings and goings of the Husker roster. Honky, uh, can you get us up to date? Yeah, it wasn't quite as busy of a week as we've had in some of the last shows, but uh, a couple things have have gone on. Uh, We did have a decommit linebacker from Florida, Christopher Paul. Uh, But a name that's really interesting to me is uh, Baron Miles Jr. And that might sound familiar to you guys, uh, people of our age. Uh, Baron Miles Sr., one of our favorite defensive backs from the uh, early to mid-90s, his son is going to walk on at Nebraska. And so I I just think that's extremely cool. We posted something uh, the other night just saying that two of our favorite defensive backs from the 90s, we now have their sons on the team, Toby Wright and Baron Miles. And we've got both of the kids. I mean, I think that's so cool, second generation. So I think that was really neat. And one other thing, and this is just from the state of Nebraska recruiting, and I'm going to keep hitting on this every time I possibly can. I've always said Nebraska, you know, just on a kind of an average year, we can have five kids go power five football. Well, we just had a sixth kid get an offer, and it's uh, Omaha Westside defensive back Kobe Bretz. He has an offer now from K-State. So along with Devontae Dickerson, that's two defensive backs out of the Westside school's secondary that have Power 5 offers now. And so that's six kids, I believe, from the state of Nebraska. I know uh, Zaska uh, out in Elkhorn, I think, you know, he could be getting one, you know, from some some different schools here, and that could be seven, and there's, there could be more kids. So the point is, you know, I, I love that, that in-state recruiting. I think there's a lot more attention being drawn towards the in-state kids, and you're seeing it with offers. There is the talent, but there's it's not just talent. It's also that there's actual coaches – and attention being given to that talent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that to have seven or more, that would be a really strong year out of uh, Omaha and and the state in general. So, mm-hmm. all right, good good stuff. All right, Hunk. Well, um, kind of teeing up the uh, scoring explosion. I think you had uh, quite a bit of uh, Twitter polls out there, and I think we also have some mailbox, right? Yeah, let's start with the Twitter polls here and had several of them, but let's start with the one that I did on Monday. I just said that I'm making a bold prediction that NU will have at least one first team all Big Ten offensive player this year. And I guess a trivia question, you guys, maybe you've seen it so you know the answer, but do you know who the last Husker to do so was? In general or just on the offensive side of the ball? Who's the last offensive Husker to be first team all Big Ten? Kenny Bell, I think, wasn't it? Correct. Do you know what year? That sounds right. 2012? Probably later than that, but I don't yeah, know the 2014. So, I mean, just to been a while. put things in perspective there, right? It's been a while. Then It is a bold prediction to say that we're going to have a first-teamer this year. But I believe we are. We have 10 returning starters as we're going to get into. I think there's a lot of very positive things about the offense this year. So the question was, which position group do you most likely see that 
first-team player coming from. And with 350-plus votes, uh, QBs came in at 15%. Running backs came in at 23%. Wide receivers, tight ends came in at 32%, which was number one. And the O-line came in at 30%. Hmm. So I guess maybe I'll just start here. I'm going to hand it back to you, Dave, is that – you know, when you hear those numbers, you know, wide receivers, tight ends were kind of number one. Right behind them were O-line. Running backs, just a little bit below that. And then QB was a distant fourth at only 15%. You know, what do you think of as you kind of hear those numbers? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, those make quite a bit of sense. I mean, it's no knock on, on Adrian, but there's only one quarterback that's going to be first-team All-Big Ten, where the other positions you have a little bit better odds just by numbers. And, you know, I mean, wide receiver-wise, I mean, we can be very optimistic on someone like Omar Manning, and he has that big of a year, but I guess you're talking about Wandell most likely at that spot. Oh, line-wise, uh, I think Brendan Hymas is a legitimate opportunity there to be mm-hmm. first-team All-Big Ten, and, and I don't know how far someone like uh, Jurgens has progressed. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, Mac, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. I think it's easy to look at like Wandell and maybe that's when I see wide receivers. I think maybe Wandell's the pe- the person that people are thinking. I agree with Dave on the O-line. I think Hymas is a guy that people are thinking if they're picking O-line there, but is there somebody at one of those groups where you're kind of a dark horse that you could see be that guy? I don't think it would be much of a stretch to say Mills could, could be a first team all big 10 guy. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's a pretty open field this year. Uh, Wisconsin's not having Taylor come back. I think, uh, didn't the kid from Ohio state, uh, J.K. Dobbins, didn't he leave? Yep, that's right. So, I mean, Iowa doesn't have anybody proven coming back. I'm mm-hmm. not sure about Minnesota's guy. But my point is there's no superstar coming back that he couldn't unseat. And he came on really strong at the end of last year. So when you've got a returning offensive line with the potential mm-hmm. All-American – or not All-American, but an All-Big Ten tackle, um, returning center, a potential All-Big Ten quarterback, that wouldn't surprise me. I think Wondell's a good choice just because he's such a niche player. But then Rondell Moore kind of – he kind of might steal some votes on that way too. I don't know. First team, that's tough to say, but but Mills Mills has got a definite chance. Yeah, I liked uh, Max's uh, approach to that. Mills would have been my pick on that too. I was, I was actually surprised to see wide receiver get the most votes. I just thought, you know, as far as you know, what we have coming back, you know, maybe this is people are still thinking Spielman was coming back when they were pulling us. I don't know, but uh, when you look at just the conference, what do they pick? I think two wide receivers for the All Conference team. I think every year, and you've got you know guys like. What is it, Bateman at Minnesota and Olave at Ohio State coming back? It's I mean, a deep group. Are, Good yeah, that's group. that's a tough one just based on just the sheer talent level. So that's I'd, – I'd almost lean towards, you know, Max pick of Mills being a, a possible dark horse or a way to sneak up there. You know, Martinez is, is possible if he has a great year. But, again, you've got Justin Fields coming back at Ohio State, and he's just – you know, just by name and the fact he's a Buckeye is going to attract a lot of favorite, votes unless yeah. they totally implode or something like that. It's going to be tough to unseat that. So, yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with Mills or if you can get, uh, you know, Wondell in as that all-purpose player. You know, if Rondell has a bad year or gets injured again, which hopefully, you know, you don't wish that on anybody, but you know, he has been injury-prone, so his opportunity's there. So I, those are the most likely picks. Or maybe you just pick the old line just because you got so many of them to pick from, and right. yeah. hopefully one of them stands out. You just take kind of taking the field at that point. I'll tell you what, if Martinez is even third team all Big Ten, I'm pretty happy with that year. I guarantee you, we've got a lot of wins. That would be a really good thing for the team if he is anywhere on those first, second, third team yeah. deal. Because let's get into our other questions. We had seven different poll questions, and this is where we really go position by position. And I think this actually starts to answer the first poll question as we go through these. 
And uh, the first one we've talked about already, you know, injuries and how they could play a role in any of the positions, right? Well, the first question we had was, do you think the same QB will start all 12 regular season games? We didn't ask it in terms of injury or is the guy going to lose a starting spot? It had nothing to do with that. It was just a a very open-ended question. And uh, 320-plus votes in there, 70% said no, that the same QB will not start all 12 games. 30% said yes. Um, I've got my thoughts on this, but I kind of want to go around the room. And I'm going to start with Rob. We haven't talked with you yet here. When you are hearing, you know, do you think that the same QB the last two years we haven't had a QB start all 12 games yet, and those have been for injury purposes? You know, what are your thoughts on this season when it comes to, you know, the same guy being there for every single game starting it? I mean, honestly, until Martinez can prove that um, he's able to play all the games, then at that point that's when I'll I'll say, you know, yeah, he'll be the starter through all the games. But the fact of the matter is he hasn't been able to prove that yet. Um, And it's no fault of his own. I mean, there was the cheap shot against Colorado, what, two seasons ago, which took him out for a few games. And quite frankly, that sort of injury that he got, especially then, I think it kind of had a little bit to do mentally, I think, with, with the way that he played last year in a lot of situations. You know, he still had some really good games. His stats were still pretty exceptional in some areas. But the fact is, is like you could tell while he was on the field that he didn't always have that it factor, I think, is the is the way he wasn't always sure about where he was passing the ball. He got a little bit uh, nervous in the pocket. And I, a lot of that, I think, goes back to his freshman year when he got injured. I mean, you know, you're coming out of high school and then you go into the Big Ten. Things are going to move really fast for you and, and they're not going to get any easier. So I'll be interested to see how he does this year in the first few games. And if he can stay healthy, um, sure, of course, he'll be the starter because he's got the most experience. But if you get a few games this season, he takes an injury or two, misses a game or two. Um, from what I've seen, I feel like that that really affects his confidence in, overall in his game. And and hopefully he can overcome that. I, I wish the best for the kid. There's 70% that say no. Not all of them are thinking it's because of injury. There's obviously... You hear all the chatter on social media and everything. There's a number of people that think right out of the gate that he shouldn't be starting. It should be Luke. It's always the backup quarterbacks, the, the most popular guy. But when you hear 70%, you know, thinking that the, the same guy's not going to be starting, I guess what kind of goes through your mind as you see that number? Well, I mean, I would like to think that most Nebraska fans are pretty logical about this. And to Rob's point, the odds are actually against Adrian starting all all 12 games because he has yet to do that. And when you're in an offensive system with a running quarterback, um, injuries can happen. Uh, we've heard that from, from T.O. all the way down. So um, it's good to have more than one guy that you think can actually run your system. And, and that's what we have right now, right? So... I mean, on on the optimistic side, I think most people are just being illogical and saying, yeah, sure. Now, is there a percentage of those folks out of that 70% that said yes that think that that Luke should get a a shot? Um, Sure, absolutely. As much as people want to make a big deal about this quarterback controversy or or race or whatever, battle, whatever you want to call it, I mean, I'll, I'll turn the question a little bit on its side, I guess, and maybe ask Mac and Boomer. I mean, like... If Adrian does struggle a little bit in the first few games, how long do you think Frost would go before giving Luke a shot to start and see where he's at? Because uh, the back half of the season, as we've discussed uh, multiple times, is 
really difficult. And if you are going to make a quarterback change, you're not going to wait till game seven or eight when you're suddenly already playing Penn State or Ohio State. You're going to want to make that change in game three or four, in my opinion. I think that's something they have to think about how they're going to approach this season with because either you you can approach it from a couple of ways, right? So you could you could automatically try to get Luke in on some packages early in the season so that you kind of create a not a habit necessarily, but a precedent of him getting in and playing quarterback so that if if Adrian does struggle, it's not that big yank, that big pull, maybe it's something we were building to based on Luke's success on the field. Um, the other way of that, and maybe Frost thinks this way too, based on his time as a starting quarterback, maybe you ride with Adrian until he really proves he can't do it, either an injury or a bad game here and there. But I remember, you know, Frost has talked about it recently about how irritated he was when Frankie London got put in against Central Florida. And he got booed coming out of there, and that was just Osborne trying to kind of feel out a backup, or you know, Frost hadn't endeared himself to the fan base just yet. So I'm not sure, but but even beyond that, is it is it Martinez? Is it McCaffrey? How about this, guys? How about the fact that our backup quarterback, whoever it may be, is uh, has a very similar skill set to our starting quarterback, whereas before it was Tommy Armstrong, Riker Fife. Not the same guy, <laughs> not the same offense, you know, or, or Tanner Lee, Tommy Armstrong. I mean, it's like the, the, the way you had to downshift or completely change your offensive game plan from quarterback to quarterback, the most, most important position on the offense. I'm like that, that to me led to so much inconsistency of play and lack of, you know, like you, you didn't know what you were going to get. So it's, it's an interesting question. It's obviously always going to be a, a, a story driver in the off season and even going into it, but it, but to me, I feel really good about I – mean, even if you go down to the third string, you know, you've got Smothers. Even last year when, you know, you had that same situation personnel-wise, McCaffrey wasn't as ready as he's going to be this year. This is as good, as deep as we're going to be at quarterback as we have been in terms of uh, actual athletic ability and style of play than I can remember in a long time, sure. really. Yeah, to go to go three deep like that, I mean, that's – Yeah. I mean, they'll go with who plays best. What kind of leash does Martinez get? Probably just long enough. That's probably my yeah. guess. I think. I think I would be shocked if, if we're having a conversation, you know, during the year where we thought Frost should have pulled Martinez and he didn't. Mm. Maybe we will, but until that happens, I'm, I would be surprised. This season is just kind of an an interesting scenario that it presents for trying to make these sorts of decisions because you've got you know a quarterback that was kind of banged up a little bit last year and you want to try to get him you know a lot of reps, especially with the wide receiver core we have this year where. There's just not a lot of experience on it, so you obviously want to get them as much playing time as you can with you know your initial starting quarterback. And then just the way the schedule itself shakes out, I mean, it's not a not a schedule where you get a lot of opportunities to to have that backup start just just for experience' sake. I mean, you start the season with a divisional clash with Purdue, which is not a gimme game, and then heck, even Central Michigan and South Dakota State aren't anything you can sneeze at. You, that's early games you want to you know still have your starting quarterback get the reps and then then you're already into Cincinnati and Northwestern and then you only have just a, a small stretch where you might think well if you know you want to let Adrian rest a little bit and start McCaffrey and you know things are going great you got that Illinois a bye week Rutgers and then it's back to the the slog so it's it's kind of interesting in that point you know that's that's got to play a big role in how they decide who's going to start what games and what what you want out of these people? So I and and kind of to Max's point, I I don't think you have a big window to decide if if you're gonna make that switch for the season. You know, if Adrian's struggling early, you know, you're gonna have to make that switch pretty soon. If if that's 
what they want to do. Nobody starts a guy just to start him in a backup role. That doesn't work like that. I don't care if you're Clemson. You start your starters. Um, at the end of the day, I'll make I'll make the bold prediction here. I think 2 a.m. is going to have a great season. I think he's going to have a great comeback season. And I think that's an unpopular thing to say on on Twitter because it's it's so easy for people to just want that backup guy. I think he had a rough year. We all know that. Shape-wise, he was just slower last year a little bit. I think that's going to be taken care of coming into year three. He's got the experience. I'm really excited for the guy. And one of the things I think that's interesting is that I hope whether he listens to this show. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Oh, we, we can assume they do. If you know 2AM and you're listening to this show, then tell him about this. Have him listen to this segment. And let this be one more piece of motivation for you, Adrian. Because, man, I'm telling you, I'm 100% behind you. And I think this guy is, is custom-built to run this offense. And this is going to be a good season for him. Now, as we talk about, you know, is he going to start all the games or not? And, you, and we get into injuries. Well, we can't control that, right? I mean, if he's injured, yeah, then he doesn't start all 12 games. But let's control the things we can control. I would always shut that off in NCAA football, by the way. And I don't care. You can judge it if you want to. Injuries, off. Sure. They're BS. <laughs> I'm turning them off in this scenario, too. So here's the thing you can control. Martinez was the leading rusher by numbers of carries last year by one carry over Mills. That is one thing, and I love a running quarterback. I mean, I am an option running quarterback kind of offense, and yet I think we can control the number of carries he gets, and that can help control some of the injuries that potentially could happen. Um, I mean, we're going to see, to Max's point earlier, I think Mills is going to be a a workhorse. We are going to have a a defined kind of offense built around right from the beginning, getting him the ball and having, you know, Ramir getting into the mix too. So, I mean, we're going to be able to divide this up and and not just have it be, you know, so heavy on one guy. So, anyways, I think Martinez is going to have a great season. And so I'm going to move on to the next question here. No, hockey, hockey, I I do not want to move on to the next question. I have additional information I'd like to pry from your beautiful mind. Let's think about, we've had running quarterbacks in Nebraska for a long time, right? I mean, especially under Osborne. How do you feel, I mean, this risk of injury has always been out there. Osborne seemed to manage that relatively well. Uh, Do you feel like his quarterbacks, maybe because they didn't throw quite as much as Adrian, just were simply able to to play through some injuries that, you know, it, it didn't hinder their performance as much? Or was it because we were blowing some teams out and that certain quarterback got pulled in the third or early fourth quarter and didn't take as many snaps? Why was it uh, successful to have a running quarterback under Osborne? Um, and I, I don't remember Steve Taylor, you know, suffering through significant injuries or Godowski or anybody, right? I mean, I, I'm sure that, I guess it happened maybe, but I mean, any thoughts on that of how do you manage a running quarterback and in, in that injury risk? I think there's part revisionist history there. I mean, Brooke Berenger collapsed a lung, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, Mickey Joseph got, you know, pushed into a bench against Oklahoma and that was it for him. So we've had our cases even during the Osborne years, but in general, I'll go back to the 99 championship game, Nebraska versus Texas. And at one point, they showed a stat of how many times Crouch had been hit versus how many times at that time Major Applewhite had been hit. And the first thing that came to my mind was, who the hell cares how many times Crouch has been hit? He's been hit in running situations where he can lower his shoulder. He can actually be a running back, you know, giving a hit also to the defense, right? As opposed to the six or seven times Applewhite was getting hit, he's getting hit by a 300-pound defensive tackle in the backfield, you know, blindsided, sacked. I mean, those are different types of hits. So not all hits are equal on a quarterback. 
I don't mind in a running game as long as a guy can physically do it. You look at Frost when he was a quarterback. I mean, he was a 230-pound dude. Tim Tebow lined up at fullback, I think, his freshman year a couple times. I mean, you know, big guys, they can take some of those hits, and they can also deliver them. Martinez is a big guy. I mean, Martinez is a different style of running quarterback than when you throw McCaffrey out there. McCaffrey true. is you know a speedster, right? But they both can do, to max point, they can do everything that Frost wants to be done in this offense. They might just do it a little bit differently. So long story short, Dave, yeah, there's injuries that happen at quarterbacks throughout history. I mean, this is nothing new, but I, I don't have any reason to think that Martinez, you know, he's going to come into, into the season his junior year in good shape, and I think that uh, – I'm not counting on any kind of injuries or anything like that. I think he can make it through the full season, and and uh, I think he's going to have a really good one. Let's move on to the second question that we had. And the second and third one actually are kind of the same. They're a little bit inverse, but we asked them in kind of a weird way. And it was the first one was, which running back will have the most receptions? And the next one was, which wide receiver will have the most rushing attempts? And that's kind of in, in this positionless offense that we're playing where guys can be lining up all over the place. It was kind of the idea of, you know, which running back's going to catch the most, which uh, wide receiver's going to run the most. So with the running back one, and I'll ask this one to Mac here, kind of get your thoughts on it. Ramir Johnson was 48%. Dedrick Mills, 33%. Sevion Morrison was 14%. And then other was 3%. So Ramir Johnson's the guy they think is going to catch the most balls out of the backfield. Do you see that kind of being the case? No, I don't. I think that's just more kind of backup love that people kind of have with backup quarterbacks if it, Mills has actually showed to be a pretty decent receiver out of the backfield last year if Adrian getting the ball more that's going to be a big part of his game um, if we're being able to use Wandell more like that that Huskar position he'll get a lot of those like kind of dump off passes as well I don't think we're gonna have to change the offense that much or excuse me the personnel in the offense that much to, to generate receptions for the running backs I think uh, Ramir Johnson will have some for sure but that'll be more you know, in line with how many snaps he's actually getting. I don't think he's going to lead the running backs by any stretch. So just by nature of Mills being out there the most, being the workhorse, he's going to also get the most receptions out of that position. Yeah, basically, yeah. Whoever gets the most snaps will probably have the most receptions. That's my guess. I don't think we have a specialist receiving running back. Mm -hmm. Now that next question, Rob, when I was asking you guys over text about this, you kind of had a question of whether Wandell should even be listed as a wide receiver based off of basically last year. I mean, he lined up as a running back, I think, a lot more than what we're going to see this year. I mean, we listed him as a wide receiver, and that's why we listed him as a wide receiver because that's you know what his position title is going to be. And so he ran away with this between him and Elante Brown and Cade Warner. Wando Robinson had 88% saying that he would have the most rushing attempts. I mean, do you have any reason to see that, that not, that's not the case, or do you agree with that, that Wandell out of all the wide receivers would have the most carries? Well, I think so. I mean, he, he had, what, 88 attempts last year um, from rushing alone, and I realize a lot of that had to do with injuries. Um, but again, uh, one of the things that I think that this team is really going to have to depend on this year is experience at every position. Yeah, they're going to probably be going like two, three deep at a lot of these key positions now, but the fact of the matter is is that, uh, what, Wandale averaged something, I think, four yards a carry, he averaged, what, like 34 yards a game or something, which you could throw that out because he wasn't even really playing running back for most of those. And, and he's he got hurt a bit last year. He played injured a lot, too. And so I think I, I do. I think that he is going to carry the ball for the most out of the wide receivers because I think that he's shown that he can do that and he understands what the, the offense is, um, you know, because guys like um, guys like Omar Manning are are going to be your 6'4", 225-pound receiver that's going to get downfield and average you 20-something yards a catch. 
Robinson's going to be the guy that catches the ball out of the backfield or even, you know, takes the ball a little bit over the middle and takes the ball 75 yards to the house. I mean, that's just the style of play that he is. Yeah, I, I very specifically, I didn't want to put down the Betts and the Mannings and the Hickman receivers even as options here because you don't typically run the ball a lot with 6'3 and taller guys. So that's where the Cade Warner and Elante Brown, you know, came in. And I think a lot of the carries that Robinson got last year were out of true running back formations. He was lined up in the backfield. And this question really is more about reverses and different ways that they're going to get the ball to the wide receivers other than literally lining them up in a running back kind of role. Dave, one guy that I think that we didn't have mentioned here, and you brought him up before simply because of the speed, is Fleming. And I think he is a kid that could be one of those guys that could you know, get the ball on some of those duck arc reverses and I guess side screens that are going to be, you know, considered runs too. Yeah. I think Fleming as well as Alante Brown will get carries this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I could see Alante Brown actually landing up more in the backfield than, than Fleming. Actually, I see Fleming probably mm-hmm. more of a little bit more of a true whiteout that could have those yep. fancy uh, run plays. Whereas Alante might just line up in mm-hmm. the backfield one time and take the ball. I think actually, right. He's that versatile. Uh, so it's going to be interesting how to how, how that plays out, and I'm I'm really excited to see how how Frost and company utilizes all of this skill everywhere. Mm-hmm. I really do think uh, Mac is correct on Mills catching it the most balls out of the backfield. I'm intrigued on a question maybe to to, to Honky and Mac on. Do you see uh, Mills catching most of those receptions out in the flat, or do you see him? more like in releases over the middle. I mean, how do you see Mills getting those those catches? A lot of it out of the flat. I do think our screen game is something that'll get uh, reemphasized this year. That's something we have not gotten, you know, much off the ground. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be mostly dump offs to be real honest. I don't think we're going to try to feature him like maybe we would of like a Maurice Washington. And maybe that's something yeah. they will do with, with Ramirez just because Ramirez got that elite speed. I think, I think Mills will be more of a result of Adrian checking down, which is great. You know, that's fantastic. That's, and he'll be great at that because he's one of those guys. He gets the ball. He immediately goes upfield. He'll get you positive yards. And those are perfect for those little dump-off passes. Yeah, so Dave, I think you're spot on with Alante Brown. I think that guy could get more carries out of the backfield than and line up out of the backfield more often than even Wandell uh, this year. I really could see Wandell truly being kind of a duck-R slot type of receiver and being really successful at that. So uh, next question, and Boomer, I'll throw this one to you here. Which tight end will have the most receptions this year? We had Austin Allen, Jack Stoll, Travis Vokalek, or, or other and uh, Allen had 12%. Jack Stoll, the returning starting uh, senior tight end for us, he had 47%. He was number one. And then the new guy, the transfer from Rutgers, who's eligible this year, Travis Vokalek, at, at 39%. Number one, I guess, do you see that kind of being the case? And what do you envision? We're going to have a question about this a little bit later out of the mailbag. What do you kind of envision out of that tight end spot to begin with? Well, uh, th- those are good questions both. I'll kind of try to tackle them both right here. Um, you know, first off, I, I I like the whole swap for Vedral for a tight end from Rutgers. I'm glad we could do that. And, you know, maybe a player to be named <laughs> later. I don't know how that works out. but uh, That's great. Yeah, you know, I, I like experience when it comes to any sort of receiver, any sort of stats. If you're going to make predictions, go with the guy who's been experienced for a while. So I'd like to think Stoll will probably or ideally would be our, our main target at this point. 
And I know one of the questions was if we would see a tight end successful at Nebraska, what would we see them do? And I would think you'd look back at the Central Florida back in 2017, and uh, who was their big tight end there? Was it Jordan Aikens? Yep. Does that sound right? Yeah, I mean, yep, he was, right. what, their second or third leading receiver on the team back then? I mean, he had quite yeah. a few yards, a lot of touchdowns. That's what I think I want to see out of the, what we would see out of a successful tight end with a Scott Frost offense. They're, you know, not going to be the leading receiver, but they're going to be up there in the th- third or fourth top receiver. A lot of touchdowns. They're going to catch the ball quite a bit. Yeah, and there's a lot of height there that we just talked about between Allen, who's six, which is nice. Yeah, yeah which six is seven, I, six eight. And that, and I think that's one of the things that you really look for in this whole. Chip Kelly, Scott Frost kind of offense is the receivers, whoever they are, whether they're wide receivers, tight ends, whatever they are, they don't necessarily have to be superstar, first team, everything talents, but you want big receivers, you want big tight ends, you want people that can catch the ball, and we're going to get you stats that way, and and that seems to pan out, so hopefully it works. Yep. Well, that question was from uh, Brother Gary, so we're already one done with the mailbag. We won't have to bring that one up later, but Brother Gary, thanks for that question. <laughs> Uh, the next poll that we had was um, in 2019, NU ran some option out of the I formation versus Ohio State. I was very excited to see that. Do you think that we will see that set used again in 2020? And uh, almost the resounding yes, 80% said yes to only 20% saying no. Dave, are we going to line up in an I formation? This is an intriguing question. I I don't honestly know because we saw the success versus Ohio State Yet then we didn't really see it the rest of the year. It's like they didn't they didn't bring it back the next week. They didn't bring it back for a series or, or two, Ranley versus Iowa, uh in that same nature that they did versus Ohio State. So I, I don't know if I, I have the answer on this. Logically, you saw this the success on the field against Ohio State, so you say yes, and from a nostalgia standpoint you say yes. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's a great question. Mac, we brought that up to Sipple when we interviewed him. And Sipple even said, he's like, yeah, it's it, it worked. But he goes, but it's really hard to, you know, with the limited amount of practice time you have and everything, to just throw that in. It's not really part of our offense. So it's kind of like a whole extra thing. Do we have enough time? Is there enough in the playbook? Can we run that on top of the spread, shotgun, everything that we do, you know, 90% of the time? Yeah, I don't know if that's a – particularly efficient or if it's just gimmicky enough to work you know if it becomes that kind of thing i don't know it isn't really part of the identity and and even if you were going to make the argument well then it allows you to get certain personnel on the field like a different running back combination i don't know that that could even be true we don't really have a fullback we need to get out there so who knows i mean we we might see it if we do it'll probably be a result of us being more efficient in our base offense would be my guess so it actually would be a change up of some type as opposed to just trying to find offense mm-hmm. so if if we get to the point where our base offense is as efficient as it should be under you know the conditions that we're in i mean you know we talk about these lower expectations but the fact is, we've got a third-year quarterback coming back and a whole offensive line coming back. A start. This, this is kind of silly to me sometimes that our expectations are so low yeah. on this offense. I don't think it should be. So, and, and and they don't get a pass because of that. True, you know, like I'm sorry, whoever you choose to be your quarterback, that's not my problem. This is year three. You got a lot of good things coming back. Mm-hmm. We should expect some offensive production. So, yeah, if we're efficient, if we look good, then yeah, we probably will see it. But. I don't know. It's interesting. The, the Ohio State game was such an anomaly that I don't know what to make of it. Yeah. 
And we don't have a fullback to run the I formation that I know of right, right. now because when we did run it last year, it was with Dedrick Mills at fullback. I, I was just going to ask that. If we did run this, who would you put at fullback? I mean, would you move Mills up and then put Johnson or some other running back behind him? I would want to have a designated fullback, somebody who is that role, which, I mean, you could easily – you know, there's players on the team that have played fullback before. Chris Cassidy played fullback in in high school, right? Sure. Well, let, let's choose one. Just like hypothetically. I'm drawing a complete blank because I don't know what our roster would look like. So I would literally say throw Chris Cassidy out there, right? You know, throw a throw a fullback, a true fullback, and have sure and have your your eye back behind him, whoever that is again. You know, so I'm just throwing a name out there. But if you're gonna run eye formation, I think at some point you gotta have something more than you're starting I back being, you know, playing the the fullback role if you're right, going to do that. Right. That's sure, more my point sure. than anything. Um, the next question, and Mac brought up production, and there's an area last year that we had some real production, and that was in the running game. Uh, in 2019, we finished 28th nationally and third in the Big Ten rushing the football with 204.5 yards a game. So how many yards a game do you think Inu will have this year? The four options were less than 175. Are we going to regress? Are we going to have 176 to 225, kind of that that range? 226 to 275, are we going to have more than 275 yards rushing a game? Are we going to go back to old school Husker stuff? And the, the number one one was 226 to 275, somewhere in that range. So we're going to gain at least 20-plus yards rushing from last year, and that was 53% of the people said that. Uh, 40% of the people think that we'll be in that range, 175 to 225, basically. And then the outlying ones were only like 2 and 4%. So point is, I think people think that we're going to run just a little bit more. We're going to be somewhere in that 226 to 275 a game range. And I'll ask this to you, Boomer. If we are in the 226 to 275 range, if we are indeed in there, what does that mean towards this offense for the season? Well, yeah, that's a huge jump in just uh, rushing yards per game. I mean, that puts you in the top probably, what, 15, 20 teams per year of rushing yards per game without just having the numbers in front of me. That that would be my guess. So that would be an impressive jump if we're able to do something like that. I, I don't know if that's feasible from one year to the next, but, uh, you know, with a returning offensive line and some experience, you got to bring Mills back, you know, you you should be able to see some uh, some jump up. So I would hope it's, it's higher than last year if everyone stays healthy. Sure. Well, so, Dave, I'm going to go right in the middle of that. We're going to run for 250 mm-hmm. yards a game. We're just going to cut that in half. We run for 250 yards a game. What are your thoughts on the season? I mean, record-wise and just success-wise, I mean, what, where are we look, what are we looking at if we're at that point? Yeah, if we're that successful running the ball that we can average 250 or more per game, that bodes well on the win-loss record, I would say. Yeah, quick check, uh, 250 a game puts you in the top 10 of yards per game yeah. last year. But Mac is our, you know, he's our run game coordinator here, <laughs> and you like to break things down to the position. <laughs> and if we're going to run for 250 yards a game, then the question to you is, how many of those yards come from Mills, who's going to be the workhorse? How much is our starting running back going to need to run for if we're going to hit 250 as a team? Uh, man, Honk, that's a really good question. Just, I just don't know if I've got a feel for how this staff will substitute or play guys if the offense is clicking like it should. Sure. You know, Some of that depends on how good the backups actually are. And, and the importance of building depth at the running back position this year is huge. So... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Ideally, though, let's just say in a perfect world, we're gonna you're in Max world where we turn injuries off and we're just developing depth. Then I want I want him carries wise between seventeen to twenty three and and yardage wise like at a minimum 
115 to 150. You know, like he's got to be in that range. And then, you know, four, five, six catches. That's a lot. That's a lot of production, but it should be a lot of plays is my point. So, Mac, you know, if we're going to run for 250 yards a game, the number I was thinking is can that starting running back get half of that or 125, which is right in your range? Yeah. And let's bring this whole conversation full circle and go back to the very first question we asked about, you know, can a guy get to be first team all Big Ten? If Mills runs for 125 yards a game, is that a first team all Big Ten kind of number for our starting running back to have? It will be because if he does that, then we're winning games. And if we're winning mm-hmm. games, then he becomes in he, – he automatically is in that picture. Sure. So, yes. So, if, if that's happening, yes. And to your point, he's getting three, four, five catches a game. He's got right. some touchdowns yeah. that he's scoring. So yeah. That number know, means a lot, looking. actually. What he averages a game means a lot. So, can we turn that around, though, and ask about, like, with Martinez and, like, maybe – yeah, he averaged, what, like 60 yards a game, under, under 60 yards a game last year rushing, right? I would think that that success also, from a different standpoint, maybe not the starting running back, but maybe Martinez needs to get up to 70, 80, 90 yards a game in rushing, depending on how the offense goes. I'm, I'm asking that, like, but wouldn't that be a perspective to look at it too? I think the stat that, from a rushing standpoint with Martinez, that I'm really interested in is yards per rush. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to see him, to all the point about the injuries and all those things, I don't want to see 15 and 20 carries out of the guy. But if we get eight carries out of, out of our quarterback, and that's two a quarter, and he averages six or seven yards a carry. You're ma- you are moving the chains. You're getting first downs. You're scoring touchdowns. You know, you're know, you scrambling on a play and just stressing the defense. And so now we're getting, to your point, Rob, you're getting those 50 and 60 yards, but you're getting it out of eight carries. I'd much rather see that than 16 carries where we – we pound out 90 yards out of our quarterback, but you know, they're a lot, they're just different yards. Right. So, but, but to your point though, he's a part of this running game. I mean, that's the beauty of frost is going to have a a running quarterback. That is just part of the offense. And I love that part. It's just, how do you kind of marry that into an offense without, you know, you don't want to kill the guy. It's a, it's a hundred percent. Like you said, it's, it's, it's uh, yards per attempt. Or yards mm-hmm. per rush, you know, like that. That will tell you what you need to know. Because if it's in the three and a half to four range, that's bad. That Ooh. needs to be around eight. Honestly, it needs to be like seven to eight yards per carry for the quarterback. I, I you know agree. That, that. I mean, that's a that's a fair number. And it's funny too because if you think about how the season is going to have to go, you want his rushing attempts to be kind of low at the beginning of the year. Presumably, saying that his his passing is good and the offense is flowing nicely. So to a point where later in the year those yards become chunk plays because now the defense has to honor everything. Mm -hmm. Well, Dave, the the last question, I'm saving it specifically for you because I know you love hearing me talk about this. And it's been years since I've brought up run-pass ratios. Ah, yes. But number seven was that uh, in 2019, NU had a 62.5 to 37.5 run-pass ratio. We had 535 carries. We had 323 throws. So the question was, how do you see those numbers shaking out in 2020? And so uh, roughly the same as last year was 41%. A balanced attack, exactly 50-50, was 42%. That came in at number one, just 1% over the numbers that we had last year. And then very low percentages, eight and seven, were we're going to run it more or we're going to pass it more. So I'd I'd say it's almost 50-50 right now. They think that we're either going to have – Similar run-pass ratio where it's about two-thirds to a third. That's what we did a year ago. Or they think we're going to go 50-50. Where do you think we're going to be on that? 
It's a good question. I would say that we're probably going to be similar. I mean, as you've mentioned, we've had this discussion before with the Frost offense. And from an actual play standpoint, I, I think this two-thirds to one-third or 60-40 is not too far off of what we've seen historically from the Scott Frost offense. Um, that doesn't mean the same thing from a yardage standpoint, right? Um, so I think that's a critical point there. I mean, uh, it's it's uh, the play is called and, and executed opposed to how many yards are produced off of those plays. So um, there's a little bit of difference there. So no, I, I think about a 60-40 run pass is about right. And I think we'll be there this year. Well, that gets us out of the Twitter poll, and let's move into the mailbag where we've got some more questions. Now, we asked Brother Gary's question already on the tight end and what is what that looks like, so we're going to skip through that one. Uh, Lincoln on Twitter, he asked us, what kind of impact do you think Cade Warner will have, and will he be one of the top five players, regardless of position, for receiving yards? Mac, I'll start with you. Cade Warner, will he be one of our top five receiving yard catchers of the year? He could be. But he should be the third wide receiver in leading yards. You know, I'm like, I, I would expect that our, you know, the top running back would have more yards. I would expect that the top tight end has more yards and two wide receivers. Uh, yeah, he could be. He could be if he plays enough. Is he the possession receiver? Or do we have a different guy that you think is a possession receiver ahead of him too? Do you see an Omar or one of the big guys as a possession guy? Because I, when I think of Warner, I think of him as – catching the 10-yard passes that are extending drives. Probably. That's probably a good role. Like one of those guys who can find soft spots and zones, one of those guys who can just set in there and be a, a reliable target. He's a, you know, all, all the acron- or, you know adjectives. He's a heady guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Just, but it's true. He, he, you know, he comes from a, a football family, so he, he's a, he understands the nuances of football. So he could be a very valuable player. The key with him will be with – you know, can he stay healthy this year to the point where he's contributing regularly? Because the other thing that he can do is I think he's a good uh, – he's a very good leader. And um, I think he could bring along some of those younger guys too. So his health and his uh, his involvement in this offense could be pretty important. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Lincoln. That was Despite a- the stats. <laughs> I'm going to move on to the next question. Dave, this one's going to be for you. This, is, this one's from Husker Nut on Twitter. Do you see the same starting five on the offensive line – being the same from game one all the way through Black Friday. So we had the question earlier about the quarterback spot, but on the O-line, and we just heard this week how Farniak's going to move to right guard, so presumably Ben Hart's the right tackle. We have Jurgens back. Left guard is kind of a little up in the air. You know, could it be, you know, Wilson? Could it be Trent Hickson? You know, we, we, you know, we don't know. And then left tackle is Hymas. So do you see that being who, whoever's starting on game one, or are they starting on game 12? Barring an injury... Uh, I would say yes. I think we'd probably stick with with the the top five there. Uh, not that there's going to be some rotation uh, during games, etc. But um, I don't see a uh, a change in the starting lineup due to poor performance per se. So mm-hmm. um, an injury could happen absolutely, and that's hard to predict. Um, but I would think that they would want to start the same five guys over the full season and we'll try to do that. I agree. And I think that'd be a bad sign if you are making changes for any reason other than an injury at this point. You know I mean? I think we're, you want to be pretty clear, you know, going in, we've got five returning starters to begin with. So if you're making a change and moving Farniak around, you want to feel really confident that 
you're making the right move to begin with. So, I mean, hopefully those are the same five. Agreed. So, but I mean, you guys would allow for a little bit of tinkering though the first couple games in terms of a of a starting lineup. Yeah, or no, you think? I mean, especially with the shortened spring that we're we're changing guards up, we're moving a tackle over to a guard on the right side. Yeah, you know, like there's there's going to be a little bit of tinkering, I would think, especially the opposite guard position. I wouldn't tinker as a whole with with the line. Maybe that one spot, that left guard spot. Maybe you know you're tinkering a little bit between Hickson and Wilson, just as an example. But you really want to get your front five designated. But where we've had questions on social media, like what does depth mean? On the you know because everyone says we have so much depth on the line. What does depth mean? Well, to me, depth means you not only have your top five guys, but you've got a sixth and a seventh guy that are swing players. You know the old Matt Hodgkinsons that were basically starters right. but never started. That's right. what I don't really care if Wilson or Hickson starts for us if they're the sixth guy or the seventh guy, and you've got guys that have that much experience, and you throw Bando in there, and I can't you know I forget about him sometimes. My goodness, you know, and you still have Christian. And he's Gilor. in the conversation too. Yeah, and you've got the other Farniak, you know, Will and. There's a lot of players there. There's a lot of guys that have played some meaningful downs. They've been in the program now for multiple years. That's where the depth comes from. And I think those first couple games, Mac, to your point, especially if we can get a lead on one of these teams and get some of those backups in there, you can play around with some scenarios where you can get that sixth and seventh guy out there on the field. But that guard position particularly, though, I mean, you're you're talking it could – it could be Hickson, it, it could be Wilson, mm-hmm. but you hear a lot about Piper, you know. The, so yes, there's like, you know, so there's there's a lot of guys in there that need to be mixed around with that. If you're if you're keeping Farniak, and and you know, and we're all assuming that it's it's Bryce Benhart, right? I mean, and then on the other side is Hymas, and then who? So I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the, so when someone says, you know, do you expect the, the starting five? I'm like, well. I feel like once that's set, then maybe. I, I feel like that's a position a little bit in flux, and especially with the short and spring and everything, I don't know how much how much they need to do. So, Mac, here, th- let me rephrase this then. I think there's four of the five spots that are set once you make the change of Farniak to right guard. Ben Hart's going to be your right tackle. Sure. Farniak's right, your right guard. Juergens is your center. Hymas is your left tackle. There, I think – the dark horse of all this is Piper, and I forgot to mention him earlier, and you're absolutely right bringing him up. He is a guy that I don't think – I don't for whatever reason, I just don't see him starting on day one. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but he could be one of those guys by the end of the year you could see definitely right. playing a lot, whether he's a right. starter or if he's the Hodgkinson six guy that's you know on the field as much as a right. starter but just rotating around, whatever that looks like. Again, it just further proves the point of how much depth that O-line has yeah, better than we've had at any other point. And, and Boomer kind of mentioned a little bit earlier offline, talked about, you know, how is this compared to like some of the Riley years and how they would run it. And Riley, you know, and those guys, they used to, Kavanaugh, it was, we're just going to play five guys. I think Frost and I think Austin would like to play six or seven linemen. You know, if we've got them, we'd play them, you know, and get some rotation going. You know, what's cool about that too is if if it is Ben Hart, it, sh- it shows a level of, or an, an increased ability to to get talent here and then get it to a point where it's starting to the point where you're moving a starting right tackle for the last two years over to another position to get a redshirt freshman, highly talented recruit, but up, you feel like he's already so talented and so good and ready enough to supplant him and move him over. Mm-hmm. That's a very good sign to me if that's what indeed happens, you know? Yep. A starter for the offensive line is is such a different terminology, I think, than any other position on the field, other outside of like wide receiver when you have five or six guys depending on the set that you're playing. Because 
because depending on if you're running or passing the ball, a lot of times these guys can be rotated in and out of the game. And, and the fact of the matter is, is it looks like this year, I'm just going to try to point out a positive here. It looks like this year, Nebraska's brought in enough, you know, personnel to where they can go six, seven, eight guys deep on the offensive line, which is really what you need to be successful at any level. Yeah, well, injuries, if there's ever a spot where you're going to see injuries, you know, in the line play, offense and defensive line, you're going to expect to have it. I mean, that's where it's, it's, everything's as physical as possible. And so, absolutely, we need to be deep there. And I, and I think we're getting there. So, Husker Nut, that was a great question. Uh, we're going to move on to Derek Horde from Twitter. And I'm going to throw this one specifically to Rob because I think it's one that we've talked about in the past and we've argued about in the past. Derek says, sunshine pump a little bit. He goes, let's say Martinez reaches his potential. One, what do you think his potential is? And two, how does that change your view of the season, of the offense this season? So he's, he's pumping some sunshine here. I'm going to tread lightly here on this subject. But the fact of the matter is, is look, I like Adrian as a quarterback. I do. Um, I haven't always had the most confidence in him as our obvious conversations in the past. But if Adrian reaches his full potential, I mean, I'm not going to go against anything the experts have ever said where he can be a Heisman-type player. And I realize that that can be a bold-type statement, whatever, because Mm -hmm. of of the perception of Nebraska football right now. But the fact is is that he has shown some some glimpses of just amazing athletic ability um, that if he could gain any amount of consistency on that, you know, he can lead this team – on his own to wins. Um, and maybe that's why I'm so harsh on him too, is because I see that potential. So that kind of answers the, what do you think his potential is? Yeah. If he reaches that potential, what does that change your view? Or what do you think this offense could be this season? If he hits that, you know, that Heisman kind of, you know, that, that type of level that he doesn't have to be the Heisman, but you know, that type of level, what does that mean towards the offense? Well, obviously, when, when a quarterback like him with the, the amount of athletic ability that he actually has is using that to his full potential, what it means is that is that you're going to have a lot of big plays. You're going to have a lot of breakout opportunities where you know, you're pounding the ball, you're pounding the ball, you're pounding the ball, and next thing you know, they're going for 75-yard you know, touchdown runs. They're they're running the ball for six yards downfield. They're catching a pass over the middle that um, you know is right on target, right through the seam that that is you know taking the ball up another like you know seventy eighty yards. Those are the type of things that you're going to start seeing happen because he is just another weapon that people are going to have to protect against. And you know, for Redcasters that are listening, we are editing out an entire earlier segment where Rob and I went toe-to-toe and dave you were out there ballistic i believe would be the term you went ballistic i laughed a lot well you were being dumb but (laughs) but but dave anger wise it was mostly honky (laughs) this is all fair but the point is is that like dave you were out there in colorado after the boulder game where i was already nobody was happy after that loss and we'd had that discussion then then too right martinez i mean it we all agree right now this season a lot hedges on this guy and I, I'm very bullish on him. I think he's going to have um, a really great season. This maybe goes into the next question, Dave. This is from Reggie on Twitter. And he says, Huskers will be top 10-ish on offense? Question mark. There's 10 returning starters on offense. You know, top 10 nationally. I mean, that's now we're really getting into bold predictions. Wow. But yeah, I guess, you know, someone says that. And if Martinez has a bounce back year, 
and we have some depth on the O-line. We have some depth on in the running back game, and we have a, a workhorse running back immediately that we're going to be using from game one, something we didn't do a year ago. It took us a while to get Mills in. And then we have wide receivers and tight ends of different sizes and shapes and speeds and everything. We've got some some skill guys around them. Top 10-ish on offense. Yay, nay. Wow, that is a big number. I'd love to hear who was a top 10 offense last year just for... I have that handy, Dave, if you'd like it. So oh, I'm, thanks, I'm prepared Boomer. For Why don't stuff. you yeah. go ahead and uh, name the top All right, 10 your, your top 10 from the NCAA uh, stats are LSU, UCF, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Wazoo, Louisiana, SMU, and Memphis. So those are your top 10 offenses of 2019. Uh, and just for the, the record, we were 55th. Gotcha. So it would be a small jump. Yeah, it's a small jump, but it's a jump. Yeah, it also wouldn't necessarily ensure national prominence, right? I mean, not all of those teams, especially those last few that you just named, Boomer, were in, you know, New Year's Six Bowl games, etc. So, yeah, I I guess it's possible. It would be an extremely uh, efficient offense there, and I think Adrian would have to perform at a very high level, or whoever a quarterback would be. Performing at a very high level to produce that type of yardage. I do think that's what Scott Frost envisions for this offense. Mm-hmm. And to your point, we have 10 returning starters, you know, however you shake out your, your wideouts. So I think there's a, there's a potential this is a markedly improved offense. Top 10 might be a bit of a stretch, but top 20? Yeah, I think this is out there. Because what's crazy is you go through those 10 teams, and Boomer, I don't think you said Ohio State, did you? Oh, I did. They were they were fourth last year. Oh, okay. So Ohio State, yeah. but but they're the only Big Ten school, and I guess that was more my point is that just if you look conference wise, the Big Ten typically isn't producing a lot of top ten offenses because the Big Ten typically has a lot of really good defenses. I mean, it's a it's a two way yeah. street there. So I mean, my to Dave's point, if we're number twenty on offense in this conference, I think that bodes really well for us, and it's a huge jump from number fifty, whatever we were a year ago. Yeah, a quick look on it, Honky. Uh, the next Big Ten teams on it would be uh, Wisconsin was 38, Indiana 41, Minnesota 42. Mm. All right, well, and our last question here, we're going to move on. Thank you, uh, Reggie. That was a great question. The last one, we always save Chaz uh, from SoCal for last, and uh, he gave us like five-some questions here. So first one I'm going to throw to you, Mac. And it's the most dangerous offensive lineup, 11 play. Well, let's just say six players. <laughs> we we know who our starting O-line is. So give me your most dynamic offensive lineup for your other six guys. Okay. I'm going to stick with Adrian. I want Mills. I need Wandell out there for sure. Omar's got to be out there for sure. That's two more. Uh, I like Austin Allen out there for a size. And really, just to, just for the wrench of it all, and this might – like Luke McCaffrey out there would be a real wild card <laughs> that a defense would have to worry about. And the kid's super fast, and he can catch. I like he's it. Not, he's not just a token out there. I mean, that kid can play. I like that. Um, Dave, we kind of asked a similar question last week where we were specifically saying a five-wide receiver set. But this is – I'm going to ask you the same thing. Just your most dangerous lineup. I don't care if you throw all tight ends out there. Who is your most dangerous offensive lineup? I think obviously Mills, Wandell, Omar. I mean, without seeing some of these guys, it's really tough. I I, I want to see 
compare Alante Brown versus Marcus Fleming or uh, those other matchups. I, I, I mean, to your point, I, maybe I'd throw Hickman in there just mm-hmm. for the versatility of that. Um, so maybe uh, Alante and, and Hickman with Omar Wandel and Mills, I guess. I don't know. It's a great question. You know, one thing I want, I considered is I did not want to pick somebody I hadn't really seen. The only one I did was Manning because I thought mm-hmm. of the size. But I really – I hate trying to predict on players that haven't played at all for us. You know, that's mm-hmm. just that's, – I'm g- totally guessing. But I'm like for, for the dangerous as I see it are guys that I've seen produce in this offense. So that's kind of why I went with known products. That's why Hickman's actually a really good pick over yeah. maybe Omar just because of he, – he's played some. Yeah. Last question here, and I'm going to – Specifically, throw this one to you, Mac. This is an X's and O's question. It's getting a little late in the podcast for those. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll give it a shot. How do you beat a cover three defense? Oh, man. Lawrence Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> Run the damn ball. Next question. It's good. good enough for me, man. Mac, one of the things, it's funny because I was looking at these questions the other the other morning. And I read those questions from Chaz and SoCal, and my first thought was, run the damn ball. That was, yeah, run the damn ball. Right. <laughs> I mean, you want to be the cover three defense? Run the damn ball. I mean, yeah. again, I go back to it doesn't matter what level of football you're at. Cover three is, it means that there's, like, a lot of defensive backs in the in the backfield. Yep. So what do you do? Run the ball. <laughs> yeah, run the yeah, ball. Make them, make them pay. Make them pay. It's the same thing with the box reading defense, right? I mean, if they've got six in the box or five in the box, then you're going to run there. And if they yeah. if they load it up, then you're going to maybe throw the ball or at least run to the outside, right? I mean, it's you know you can read how the defense is playing things and, and adjust. So I I think it's a great question, Chaz. Thank you so much for it. Hey, real quick before we go to Dave, uh, just Chaz, I want to thank you one more time. I love what you do on Twitter in terms of your film breakdown. It's it's like my favorite thing out there on Twitter, honestly. It's just football, and, and you do such a nice job, so thank you for that. Excellent point, Mac. All right, Dave, I'm throwing it back to you. And, uh, boy, I don't know what that was, 30 minutes or whatever, but not bad for, you know, mid-June talking a little offense there. I think, you know, I think we did okay. Try an hour. <laughs> <laughs> We're not hungry for football, are we, guys? Yeah. Come on. It's not Sunday already? What? Now, it's time for the Redcast Soapbox segment. Get up. Get up. On that soapbox. Get up. Get up. On the soapbox. Hey, Redcast, soap, we all use it. It's a necessity. So why not use good soap? Am I right? How about you give our friends at Hero Soap Company a try? It's handmade and no chemicals, dyes, or fragrances are used. We're talking great smells like lavender, cedarwood and charcoal, lime and sea salt, and many more. Like a peppermint plus cool soap that is infused with menthol to give you an intense freshness. Go to HeroSoapCompany.com and shop for yourself. Subscribe. Yes, that's subscribe. <laughs> For maximum savings. But listen, these great soap options may not even be the best part. Hero Soap is a veteran-owned company that is giving back in some incredible ways. For one, Hero Soap matches all subscription purchases by sending that equal amount of soap overseas to our troops. Here's a stupefying fact. Did you know that our troops are responsible for purchasing their own toiletries? That is some grade A bullshit. 
Well, Hero Soap is trying to fix that. And a portion of sales is donated back to charities that are focused on helping veterans and first responders. Charities like the Gary Sinise Foundation and Operation Finally Home. So you gotta ask yourself, what is your current soap doing? I'm guessing nothing as great as this. And get this, our buds over at Hero Soap Company are hooking you Redcasters up. Enter Redcast in the discount code box at checkout and you will save even more on your purchase. Treat your body to some amazing soaps, save some money with the Redcast promo code, and support our troops and help our veterans all at the same time. There are so many wins here, I'm beginning to think this was made by the 94 and 95 Husker squads. HeroSoapCompany.com Redcast discount code. Subscribe. Make it happen. Now back to the podcast as the Redcast gents step up to the soapbox. Get up. All right. Into the soapbox. And uh, Mac, I think we're going to talk a little basketball here. I know that's your <laughs> favorite subject. Right in my wheelhouse, Dave. Absolutely, but you hit the nail on the head today during our uh, text thread when you said none and done. We uh, (laughs) have a scenario (laughs) where uh, Kobe King, who I was pretty excited about actually, uh, coming here from Wisconsin, he uh, left kind of mid-season and uh, a proven scorer in the Big Ten. And uh, we get news today from Fred Hoiberg that Kobe King is not coming to Nebraska. He's... uh, in fact, still in the state of Wisconsin, and I don't know where he's going next, but he's not coming to Lincoln. And then uh, before you know it, um, about, I don't know, four or five hours later, we have his replacement in a uh, reclassified 2020 player in Elijah Wood. So uh, none and done with Kobe King. What are your What are your thoughts? You know, it's funny, Dave. It was The reason I thought of that when we were talking, we had this thread earlier about Hunter Salas being a one and done. You know, and he, we've not been in that in that, in right. that recruiting, you know, stratosphere as to, as to, you know, be dealing with one and done type talents. And then, yeah, then he came out with the, uh, well, I'm not even coming. I'm like, oh, yeah. Now we get the none and duns. We don't get the one and duns. You know, it's like, it's so that's Nebraska right. ball right, right there. Right. <laughs> that was a good question, Mac. I mean, um, the divert for just a second, you know, you talked about like, oh, you know, advantage of Hunter Salas choosing Nebraska over one of the Blue Bloods, mm-hmm. right? He's been offered by North Carolina sure. and Kansas and other big-time programs. And, I mean, you're like, yeah, you know, there there's, could be an advantage of, like, making a legacy at Nebraska, even if it's just one year. But you win one or more games in the tournament, and you are a, a legend yeah. at Nebraska. And, you know, I tried to make the argument that, you know, if, if Hunter Salas is at the level of a uh, true one-and-done, he might be already looking at how is he expanding his his brand, yeah. quote unquote, at a professional level, so that he could be you know marketing himself once he does declare pro? Um, that's not going to be Kobe King's issue at this <laughs> point. Uh, but Boomer, you know, I mean, as as soon as they leave, we have someone else replacing him, Fred Hoiberg and Matt Abdel Masi uh, can replace him, right? And uh, we have Elijah Wood, who was going to be at a, a prep school this year, reclassifying. We had an offer out for him for a 2021 scholarship. He's just uh, he's coming now. Yeah, that's going to be, I think, one of the keys to a successful college basketball coach. You know, going forward now is just being able, at the drop of a hat, essentially, to have a backup plan put in place, to have that player that's going to leave and have somebody lined up 
almost instantly to replace them. It's just the nature of the sport. And good coaches and a good staff are going to have those backup plans put into place. And so far, Hoiberg seems to maybe be able to navigate that a little bit. And we'll see what that amounts to this year. But uh, that's just the way college basketball is and college sports in general seem to be nowadays. So let's see if it pans out. Yeah, Rob, I I think that's the soapbox of of this whole segment, right? Is that, I mean, this is just how it is in college basketball these days and age. It really is, because the fact of the matter is, is, as you guys all know on the Redcast, um, I've been following Arizona basketball for, um, oh my God, since 1986, 1987, uh, back when Steve Kerr and Tom Tolbert and uh, Kenny Lofton were all on that Final Four team. Um, and, and that's kind of been the team that I follow, um, outside of, you know, Nebraska ball and talking about this for me is just funny because, you know, Nebraska is talking about getting a guy that could be one and done while the team Arizona that I follow every year, they've got three or four guys on their team that are one and done. And it's been that way forever. They might've paid for them too. Well, and, and they might have paid for them regardless. Um, you know, but aside from that whole that whole thing that, that's going on out there right now, which Sean Miller obviously knows nothing about. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you look at all the top programs in college basketball and every single year, those teams have no less than two or three guys that are one and done. And that's where the good programs are. That it's yeah, just the fact absolutely. of the matter. And, and we're sitting here debating over like guys that are transfers coming to Nebraska and going to turn this program around. It's a little bit of an eye roll to me just because yeah, I hear you. I hear you, Rob. I understand. Just because that's just the nature of college basketball. And it has been for a long time. I would really like to see Nebraska ball, get to that point. I really would, especially in the Big Ten, which is a conference which demands attention. It demands respect. It is, it was, it will be forever one of the top college basketball conferences in the country. You know, I feel like when Nebraska made that transition into the Big Ten, that was going to be the one thing that I thought would help turn their basketball program around. Um, So hopefully it is in the long run, but to this point, it hasn't really proven to be so. So Dave... You know, we have a number of followers and, and real good friends of the, the Redcast, Believe in Fred, uh, is one that comes to mind. That is this a point where just the nature of what it takes? So, what Rob was talking about, you know, schools like Arizona and you're a UNC fan and everything. I mean, those fan bases are just so familiar with this type of turnover. It's just natural anymore. If you're a Kentucky fan, it's strange to have a guy back anymore, it seems like, right? So, Moving forward with the way that that Hoiberg can turn over a roster, I mean, and today's a perfect example of that. We lose King, and it's like, what? That? Oh my gosh! You know, everything's you know turned upside down, and then three hours later, we have his replacement. Is this just the nature, and we just have to get comfortable in this kind of setting? Is that kind of the way you you envision things moving forward with Hoiberg at the helm? Yeah, just get used to it. That's the soapbox. Get used to it, man. It's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen. Um, and um, I, I, I would think that our coaching staff is well positioned to recover from any of these type of uh, quick changes. So um, good for Hoiberg to be ready. Um, and it was an opportunity for Elisha Wood, um, uh, someone who had an offer from Nebraska. Uh, he had the flexibility to go from, from 2021 to 2020 if he wanted to. 
and uh, here we go. So it's it's good, and honestly, it might be better from a roster management standpoint to have someone younger and um, fill in on the backside of the depth opposed to Kobe King, who would be at the front of them. And it's also a kid that's guaranteed to play next year. King was going to have to have a waiver. Not that we thought he wasn't going to get it, but the point is it is it is a freshman, to your point there, Dave. It's kind of the roster management piece of it. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, moving forward, <laughs> we started the day with all 13 scholarships filled. <laughs> in the middle of the day, we had one open, and by the end of the day, we are – a full roster again, so <laughs> absolutely. I gotta tell you, I, I rode stuff. that wave remarkably well. <laughs> I remember, I remember never thinking much about any of it, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know. I can't wait to be wrong, fellas. I'm really excited. Well, we'll always appreciate the contributions that Kobe King <laughs> gave to this program. So. Yeah. You'll always be remembered as Bilbo Baggins' nephew's replacement. <laughs> or no. I got that wrong. <laughs> wrong, Elijah. All right. Great stuff. Let's get out of here with some parting shots. Uh, let's start with Boomer for a change. Well, I'm just giving all of our Redcast listeners an update. It's uh, the City Swans are kind of taking it to the uh, to Rob's Melbourne Rouge right now. They're up uh, 20 in uh, quarter oh. three, so this is not looking good. But uh, to all of you uh, listeners out there, we will be uh, listening to St. Kilda a little bit later this evening, so please join us live for that. You probably won't hear it in time for this, but what the hell will go, Saints? That's right. That's at uh, 1.30 Central, I believe, the, the Saints uh, bounce off. Yeah, the the, the ruse are uh, very inaccurate with their kicking tonight. Rob, what do you got for me? <sighs> it, it, it's been a rough one. I'm sitting here. I'm trying to watch this uh, Australian rules football and do the podcast at the same time. <laughs> and and quite frankly, I never thought I would care so much about the sport from down under. But um, go ruse. And my parting shot would be Honky. I love you. Well, that's sweet. Aww. All right, Hockey, what do you got for me? All the talk of Australian football, and I can't stand hearing any more about it. I hope you all lose. But having said that, I will give you guys a lot of credit. You guys are really good gambling, betting, you know, wagering. You guys do so well with all the stats and everything. And I, I'm throwing this out here. I think you guys, and you get producer Skip involved with this, I think we have something with a some kind of Redcast betting show. So I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe there could be something that could happen during the season. Because, Dave, I'm talking, when we get to football, man, bowl season, all that, you finished in like the top 1% of ESPN last year. You guys care about things in ways that Mac and I couldn't give two craps about. So you know what? I really think that there's value in this. I think Redcasters would get a lot of value in having kind of a, a, a bookie kind of show. I don't even know what to call for it. For entertainment purposes only, though, huh? For, well. In yeah. Nebraska. Yeah, in Nebraska, purposes entertainment only. purposes yeah. only. But there's In Colorado, it's completely legal. Like Yeah, go 50 things. miles east into <laughs> Iowa. It's totally legal, right? So, And our listeners in Fremantle will be all over this. That's right. So, yeah. um, my parting shots, I had two of them. And one of them was uh, Sports Illustrated did a top 10 best college towns. And this list, <laughs> I mean... Okay, number one was Madison, Wisconsin. It's like, okay, that's good. I've been there. That's good. Athens, Georgia was number two. Okay, I've been there. That's good. Number three, Austin, Texas. I, I argue if it's actually a college town. I mean, it doesn't quite feel like a college town. It's a big city and everything. But number four, Ann Arbor, eh, kind of. 
Number five, Columbia, Missouri. And and I retweeted that and just said, uh, you lost us at Columbia. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Columbia, Missouri? Did they go to Columbia, Missouri? Or is this random, like, Wikipedia? Well, it's a journalism student, so most likely, yes, they went I mean, to Missouri. look, there's ten, t- there's 10 schools listed, and I had to add it up. Okay, Athens, Georgia, Columbia, Missouri, Oxford, Mississippi, Knoxville, College Station. Because we have to have five as the SEC. The five five SEC schools have to be on any top ten list at any given time. I've been to College Station. It's a fine town. Nothing wrong with it. I haven't been to Knoxville. Oxford, Mississippi, I've been to. It's okay. Again, this isn't even about Lincoln being off it. I just can't believe Columbia, Missouri was on it. And we got a lot of good responses from it. And uh, I'm not sure. You know, Dave, are you okay with uh, – Boulder was on it. But uh, are you okay with Columbia, Missouri being on the top ten? No. No, there's like one small little like two block stretch that might be acceptable. Besides that, it's it's Missouri at its finest, I guess. Quite frankly, I'm not even okay with Boulder being on I've been to a lot of college towns. Boulder's fine in relative terms. Columbia, no. I, Pearl Street's great and everything. We had fans that talked about how you know Boulder doesn't sell at their football stadium. I'm like, that's not what the question is. You know, if it's just a college town, Boulder's just fine. Um, Manhattan, Kansas would have been better than <laughs> Columbia. Yeah, actually, a that's, lot yeah, better. That's fair Lawrence to say. is better than Columbia. Oh, yeah, Lawrence, is, Lawrence yeah. is a good time. I mean, yeah. Rohnert Park, California would have been a better answer. Than... <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Columbia is a... Yeah. Um, the other parting shot... <laughs> We're just going to gloss over it. Yeah, man, that, that was weird. All right, cool. <laughs> the other parting shot I had is Mississippi State has booked a home-and-home home series with Washington State, the former home of head coach Mike Lee. But it's in 2030 to 31. So no reason to think Leach is necessarily going to be there at that time. But anyways, Mississippi State, Washington State, they're going to have a home and home. But what I thought was really interesting about it was that for Pullman, do you realize that Pullman, Washington, I believe they've only hosted one Power 5 non-conference school in the history, history of the program. Dave, you're kind of shaking your head. Trivia question, do you know who that school is? I have heard that stat before. I, I'm going to guess. Was it Minnesota? You're at least in the right division of the right conference, even. Iowa? Now you're starting with the right letter. <laughs> Illinois. Illinois. Okay. Like in the late 80s, early 90s or something, they had a, a home and away. But I had heard that stat, and I'm like, there's no way that's right. And I start looking through their history and, I mean, all they do is they play the Boises and the BYUs and stuff, so they don't ever play Power Fives. Or when they do play a Power Five non-conference team, they play them in Seattle. They have had one team, one team, Illinois, actually come to Pullman. So, anyways, Mississippi State, I just I had to mention that home and away series, Mississippi State is going to go to Pullman in either 2030 or 31. Who hired that athletic director from that school? That's ridiculous. <laughs> What were they doing? <laughs> that guy's got to be out of work. <laughs> Mac, can you get us out of here with your own hot take? Yeah. Coyote Watch 2020. For all uh, the Lincoln Redcasters out there, more coyote sightings. Um, small animals are at risk. Small children, honestly, at risk. Uh, these these little guys are getting brave, and they have totally adapted to the urban environment. So no joke. I have personally been uh, looping around Holmes Lake on my bike. I have a uh, I have a crescent wrench in a bag. I figure that's enough. Anyway, I'm out there to protect you. 
Good luck. You know, <laughs> stay vigilant. Shut those gates. That's one of the flaws of like not showing like Roadrunner and Coyote cartoons anymore. It's just kids nowadays Actually, just don't realize the risk that these yeah. that these beasts provide. So Looney yeah. Tunes misrepresented the Coyote, Michael. They are they are wily. You know, not, 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 they're not bumbling idiots as they would lead you. Rabbits don't just love carrots. That turns out. And there's no manner of takeoff that you can do to produce a a puff of dust. I don't care how explosive you are. It doesn't work. You know, disappointed. Well said, Mac. But I will keep the Redcasters updated on this as, as the story progresses. All right. Great stuff. Breaking news from Mac again. All right. Well, guys, uh, great talk. I enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. Look forward to doing the show again soon. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Big Red. GBR. Yeah.